Welcome to the Hypergens Founders Podcast, the show where we explore the secrets behind brilliant minds running successful B2B companies. I'm your host, Alex, and we'll dive into conversations with inspiring founders each week. From garage startups to global enterprises, we uncover the stories of those who dare to turn their ideas into reality. Get ready for inspiration, insights, and secrets behind their success. If you're curious about how these visionaries are turning their million and billion dollars ideas into reality, then this podcast is for you. Stay tuned for engaging discussions on technology innovation and leadership. This is the Founders Podcast. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Founders Podcast. With us, we have the CEO of Confianza Stuckbitch, Anoop Menon, and a close friend of mine. So excited to have you, Anoop. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Cool. So just to kick things off, why don't you tell us the story behind your company or even companies and why you chose those names? <laughs> Back in 2008, I was working for another company and my dream was to build my own business. And that's how I came to build Confiance. The truth is we had to find a name that was not registered or incorporated in the United States and India because that's where the two geographies will be actually starting. So I asked my wife to come out with a name, which we can get the domain name and also it's not registered. So she took the Spanish word confianza and confianza was already taken. So she actually removed the A from there. And then we came out with the name confianza. Confianza means uh, in Spanish, it's confidence or trust. So it was something we loved. It was difficult to pronounce for a lot of people because it's not a common name in the U.S. or India. Um, in later in life, when we were starting the product company, we needed something that's easier to understand. So we came out with Stackbench. So when you talk to an American, if you say stackbench.com, they exactly know, even with Macs, and they exactly know what to type on the browser. You originally came from India, right, to the United States? Yes. So you started your company in India and then you moved to the U.S.? Or how did that happen? That is correct. So I started my company in India. Like I mentioned, I was working for another product development company in Bangalore in India. Once I leave that company, I started Confiance in India. And we had customers almost across the globe, right? We had customers in Japan. We had a lot of customers in Australia. But United States remained to be one of our best market for us. So at some point, I understood like I need to move somewhere where I can actually lead the business, right? Like just sitting in India and doing services, there's a limitation on how much you can grow. So I started traveling. My first trip outside India was to Australia. Then I traveled across Middle East. I came to the United States. I tried living in different cities wherever I traveled. I understood America was more open to what we do. It's a land of the opportunities. There's nothing against Australia or Middle East or anything, but better rates and customers are always looking for new innovative solutions. That was a great thing to look at America. I think one time I had a long travel. I was in Australia for a few months and I was in Middle East. And I was in the U.S. for at least five months in New York and San Jose, California. When I went back home, my daughter was two and she did not recognize me, 
right? She was like, mommy, who is that? And my wife was not happy with it. She was like, you can run a computer business, software business, and I know you're ambitious, but your family cannot be broken. Pick one city, state, country, and move there. Eventually, we will actually join you, but she didn't want the family to be disconnected. Um, I didn't even blink, and I immediately said, Belmont, North Carolina, because I've been here before. The cost of living was better, and the quality of life is better here. So overall, that's a reason I moved from India to the United States. And I would say that's the best thing I ever done in my life. Amazing. So you tested out all the regions and then you decided to go in the U.S. And I agree. I think we've seen even in the campaigns and our own deals too, U.S. people and North American folks tend to move fast. They have the budget, whereas our countries, yeah, it's different. Middle East, more relationship-based. And whatnot. Mm -hmm. Why did you start Confiance and Stackbench? When it comes to Confiance, I worked for a much larger company before from India. Uh, the business was based out of Northvale, New Jersey. Uh, had a great opportunity learning because uh, I was the only developer in India. I was reporting to really smart people in the United States. When I say smart, they were really smart, right? They were actually helping or their products were used by all the large uh, mobile carriers in the United States. Um, and I say that AT&T, Sprint, Verizon, you name those bigger names, right? While working with them, I also noticed most of these bigger companies, the Fortune 100 space, they pay an arm and a leg to get all those latest softwares and you know, technology and everything. So... I wanted to bring those kind of innovative solutions available to small and medium businesses. And I clearly understood going through the open source route would be a better one. So that's how I started Confiance. In a way, I would say those were the days we didn't have a lot of SaaS kind of platforms. So uh, most of the things were expensive. Uh, even Microsoft was a one-time large fee. You pay for the office feed and everything. They didn't have a monthly subscription or anything. So the idea was to help small and medium businesses using open source technologies. Uh, that's where Confiance started. Um, when it comes to Stackbench, um, I have a lot of friends who are in the police department or the sheriffs in the United States. In fact, our local sheriff's office, I helped them with a few consulting, including some federal agencies there. I helped them with a few things. Um, one thing I noticed is most of the software is outdated. Uh, most of these are built like earlier in life, and it's really expensive. Same problem which I saw in 2008. I could see that in 2019 with the law enforcement in general. So I decided like I need to make a change, disrupt that industry where we're not trying to be other providers who make a cookie cutter kind of a software and keep on making money and doubling or tripling the contract amounts every year. And most importantly, instead of dictating, okay, this is what you need to use to solve this problem. Rather, why can't we listen to all the police chiefs and the sheriffs in the country, understand their pain points instead of assuming this is what they want. So the entire product from zero to one, it's built based on feedback and what are the pain points that these sheriffs and these police chiefs are sharing with us. So, yeah, that's pretty much like we started both these companies. Awesome. And then I guess now that you have both a service and a SaaS company, is your plan to evolve more into a SaaS business or do you want to keep both? Or maybe while you're doing the service, you also the need for SaaS. 
Uh, that's a really good question. And I, I'll be honest, my financial planner also asked me the same question again and again. But the truth is, confidence, this is our 15th year in business. Uh, confidence is pretty stable in the sense that I'm loosely coupled from that business. Uh, our entire team runs it. Even if I'm not available for three weeks, nothing would happen to confidence because we have the right people in the right seats. They know what needs to be done. Uh, they clearly align with the vision I have set for the company, whether it's a three-year goal or five years or 10 years. So definitely confidence doesn't need a lot of my time. But at the same time, Stackbench, I'm putting more effort because uh, we are selling to the government, right? Uh, selling to the government is, is a little bit long-term complex process. Uh, so we always have to innovate, not just the technology piece of things, but also how we engage with the customer, like how we can help them, right? Uh, for example, every police department that we showed the demo, they loved the product, right? But keep in mind that police departments, they don't have a lot of money. So the chief has to go to the city or a mayor to get the money approved, right? And they might have already have the budget sets being allocated to other important things. So it's not a quick sale, but we are actually trying to reduce that gap and see like how we can help these departments so that at the end of the day, there is a socioeconomic impact. Even if one life is saved or averted a really bad crime from happening, or even solving a crime, there's a socioeconomic impact into that, right? So we are talking to some of the police foundations in the country. For example, if Alex leaves in the city, and Alex has, let's say, $10,000 to spare for the next three years, there's a smaller police department, you can actually donate to the police foundation so that the, their department can actually afford to buy the software, which actually helps the citizens to be more safe. They can be you know, part of that community policing in an active way. Mm -hmm. So we are always looking at innovative ways to, you know, reducing the gap to make the sale and, you know, helping a city faster. So definitely a lot of my time is spent on Stackbench these days. Yeah, that's really interesting because, yeah, personally, I never sold to government, haven't met anyone that has, but it's interesting that you mentioned that there, I guess it's not from an ROI perspective, but like you said, it's more like from a social benefit perspective. Great. So that's an interesting way to look at it. And then how did you identify your target market? And let's say we can focus on Stackbench specifically. Mm -hmm. Sure. So you're asking about the, the target market for Stackbench, correct? Yeah, let's say I know right now, let's say you're going after police officers. I think you tried out firefighters. And I know in particular you're focusing, let's say, on like uh, the main heads of the police team. Okay. Definitely our biggest customer base is police departments in the country. Campus police actually comes a close second. So every university has, or every college has their own police departments, they need to protect and serve the students as well as the student bodies and everything. The third one is, of course, almost every county has a sheriff, like I think New York has a commissioner. Typically, it's smaller departments that we are targeting now. The reason is simple. Larger departments have bigger budgets and they can afford everything. But smaller departments, especially smaller towns or smaller cities, they need help with how everything is changing in America. For years, everybody knows that this is a topic that's been researched by the police, uh, the entire law enforcement for years, which is community policing actually helps with solving crimes as well as building the rapport between citizens and the police 
which actually build healthy neighborhoods. But an important thing to notice, there is a pragmatic shift in the way people engage. When I say people engage, now the new home buyers are late millennials and also the Generation Z. They do not actually go to community events, like most of them. They do yeah. not even walk to a girl and ask her like, hey, do you like me? They use this <laughs> all the time, right? They're swiping left and right. You, you are a Gen Z or millennial, right? Like, I'm an early millennial, right? So technically, they are super tech savvy and they use apps for everything, right? So the police departments or the sheriffs or firefighters, they also need to understand they need to provide tools which are accessible from a mobile device uh, where your new homeowners will be more able or they're actually ready to use it, right? Uh, if they see something suspicious, right? Are they going to pick up the phone and call someone? No. But if you allow from the app to take a picture and submit to your police department, even more easily, you can go anonymous. People will do it, right? On, yeah. <laughs> on the other end, keep in mind that 99% of the police departments in the United States, they are understaffed right now, right? A lot of people retire from the force and less people are actually, fewer people are joining the force. Even if you pick up the phone and call the police department on their non-emergency line, you're not supposed to call 911 because you saw something suspicious. 911 is only for emergency. They will clearly ask you, right? So even if you call a police department, my own police department for something suspicious, the chances of me reaching the right person after going through the IVR to the receptionist to how, how you get transferred so many times, uh, possibly I can leave a voicemail at somebody's desk phone. Uh, it is not like an efficient method, right? But when it's an app, an administrator or multiple administrators in the police department can assign that tip directly to the person. And keep in mind, the police, the department officers or a lieutenant or a captain, they also get the alert on the app like, hey, this tip has been assigned to you. This might be related to one of the cases you're investigating. So it actually removes all the middlemen and make it easier on both ends for the citizen as well as the police department. Mm hmm yeah, and I can attest to that. I've had situations where I'm like, I don't want to call the police because they're going to make me feel like a report or something. I don't have that time. So I, I think it makes sense that when people start using the app, crime rate will go down because the police will know about more crimes, more tips and whatnot. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Thank you. Cool. And then what differentiates Confiance and Stockbench from all the competitors in the market? That's a really good question. From a confidence perspective, I think the most important thing that kept us really successful during the 2008 recession and also the pandemic of 2020 would be that our integrity, how we treat our employees and the, how our employees treat the customers, right? Keep in mind that many services come, and I'm talking specifically about confidence now, many service companies in general they are all money-minded. Some of them are as worse or close to an attorney firm. And nothing against attorney. They provide a valuable advice and they charge you per, per hour. I've seen like technology companies in the services industry also doing the same way, 
we try to be a little different. We'll believe in long-term relationships, right? So when we start working or talking to a prospective customer, instead of thinking about it right from the first call, let's charge these guys in $100 per hour, what we think about is whether we can help them or not. I don't want somebody or we do not want somebody to pay us for, let's say, 20 hours to find out that confidence cannot help them. Mm -hmm. So most of the initial analysis, like the research phase, the discovery phase, we do not charge the end customer. And also this discovery phase is helping us as well, because not everybody is ready for an ERP implementation or building a you know, complex software. I say that because some people or some business are not mature enough. Uh, they do not have the discipline. They have important things to be fixed in the business model before trying to implement, for example, an ERP system. Not charging them, having this open conversation, we pick our clients, right? Not the other way around. And we only take as much as we can chew. We don't take, if we have capacity only to do three projects, we're not closing five, right? Uh, the fourth one we might ask, if they are a really good prospect customer, then we would ask them like, hey, can you wait for the next couple of weeks because another team would be ready by then. So right from the first engagement, we will not sound like a sales-oriented or sales pitch people, right? We are asking more questions on how we can help, whether we can help, and what are your pain points, and why are you doing asking us to do this to understand the core problem, right? Many cases, service industry is all about in a maximum hours that can be built. Our case is we want to see like how we can help, but it actually works in our favor over the long term. Let's say you're a prospective customer. We are asking you the right questions before even you give us a dollar to confidence, right? But you trust us because anybody you're interacting with confidence, they have the best interest for your business, right? And once you start doing business with us, you're having that same experience while during the process. The fact that we are a US-based company with majority of our developers in India, we're not the cheapest, but not the most expensive either. So you get great value for, for your money and good support from the US and India. That's almost 22 hours in a day covered with those time zone differences. Now, the important thing is if somebody asks you, hey, Alex, do you know some company who can help me with building a mobile app? Or I think I've outgrown my uh, accounting software. Uh, I, I wish I did not run like six or eight softwares. I need an ERP. You'll be happy to immediately refer to me because you know that you know, we will not sound like some kind of a sales pitchy kind of a people starting to make every hour like $100 or $200. So it goes a long mile. And we are different with confidence in that sense, which really helps us to grow, right? When it comes to Stackbench already, most of the softwares, you know, or software OEM makers, original equipment manufacturer, they are all a cookie cutter kind of a method, right? I build this, let's sell to every police department, every sheriff, every campus police, every federal law enforcement agency, they're not understanding like a lot of things are changing. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying all of them are like that, but there's at least maybe 10% who thinks like Stackbench. If we need to innovate, we need to understand their problems. Because if you read any law enforcement book, law enforcement has changed across for the last two centuries, right? Our challenges were different, right? 30 or 50 years ago, 
there was no topic around anything related to cyber crimes. Today, cyber crimes is getting common, right? And also don't forget the fact that AI is going to revolutionize everything. Crimes are going to change. Software developers, software businesses, as well as hardware developers who actually sell to law enforcement, they need to have a mindset of innovation, that cutting edge innovation to make sure like we are also aligning with the changes that is happening because I think there is a big disruption going to happen with deep learning and everything, the crimes are going to change. And the police, the law enforcement in general, both state, county, uh, as well as federal agencies, they need to be prepared to tackle these new kind of challenges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like the commonality between both of your businesses and even how you treat your people. It sounds like you're really focusing on what like your customers want, whether mm -hmm. it's like the police officers or like the companies that are looking like for outsourced talent instead of just like pushing some kind of solution to make money. And I yeah. think you've proven that it works because Confiance has been here for 15 years. You guys have been growing steadily. You have a good client base. That's amazing, by the way, to have a business for 15 years. That's Thank a really you. big achievement. And then how did you approach like building and developing like both of your businesses? So growth is an important thing. Right, Every business, they need excellent growth. If we stop growing, the problem is you would lose good employees. <laughs> but that, that's, that's plain and simple because nobody wants their career to be in a place where it's stagnant, right? So we're pretty ambitious. The past couple of years, we have been growing 30%. Now, we're actually targeting much aggressive 80% growth starting next year. Because we have been investing a lot of money on the important aspects of the business, having the right people in the right seats, as well as invest a lot of money on marketing, SEO, all those different things, right? We have a marketing team now. We are actually getting services outside from a lot of vendors who helps us, help us with solving different things. And also like research, because things are changing. It's a fast changing world when it comes to technology, right? They were talking everything about IoT, then everybody jumped to blockchain, right? And now everybody yeah. is talking about AI. I think AI is here to stay, right? So yeah. the growth, when I think about growth, growth is essential, but I also think about building a bridge, right? When you're building a bridge, you need to have the pillars at right places. I'm not a civil engineer, but an expert need to look at and say, okay, this is the maximum load it can bear, even during earthquake, different natural disasters, how to protect, things like that. Technically, we need to have that kind of a mindset when growing the business as well. Sometimes you have to keep the growth to a minimum while we are internally improving so that once you everything, all your ducks in a row, then you can grow faster, right? So we are getting into that place where in 2024, we have really aggressive growth plans. We hired some really awesome people coming from really large companies who have seen that kind of growth, different departments or units they were managing. So they are mentoring, training our people, including me, who haven't seen that. For Because I'm, I've never been part of a business that's like a billion-dollar corporation, right? I've never been there, right? But sorry, someone who has actually done that before or seen it, they can actually tell us, like, hey, what are the things we need to be careful about? right? For example, if you're growing from $5 million revenue to $10 million, 
what are the challenges that we are going to face? Resource challenges, technology challenges, operational challenges, things like that. Definitely, we have some accuracy growth plans, but it's all back with real numbers, proper budgeting and everything else, especially for Confiance. When it comes to StackBench, I still consider StackBench as a startup. In my opinion, it's a startup, right? So we do not actually limit how we can operate a lot because I do not want to get too organized so that then innovation stops. If you are always looking at the growth has to be this, we need this many police departments to be onboarded. We're not as strict with that because it's pretty it's pretty much a startup right now. If we try to get too narrowed onto that, then the innovation might stop and we might become what our competitors or what I spoke about before, cookie cutter kind of make maximum money selling the same product again and again. So the stack bench growth, we have some realistic growth plans for next year. Uh, we want 50 police departments to be a customer next year. That's an ambitious goal, but it's not like we need to hit the 50. If we hit 35, it's okay. That actually help us to set up our big, hairy, audacious goal for 2025. Keep in mind that it's a product. Services are easy. We have been doing that for a long time. And when it comes to products, there's always crossing the chasm. Not everybody's an early adopter, right? Some people will wait for a few people to use it, give feedback before they buy, right? And that's the case of normal SaaS software. Now, if you're actually selling to the police departments, right? Everything is done based on trust. So Ken Schull, who works for me, he's a retired police captain from Charlotte McClumber Police Department, 30 years of service. When I interviewed him, he gave me the best tip ever. He said he wants to do a due diligence. He wants to learn about Anoop and the organization because he said, I've built years of trust with people across the country, right? If I'm selling something, I need to believe it. I need to make sure like I can trust it first before I use people's trust on me selling something to them. Definitely the police uh, departments, building that trust takes a little bit of time. While we have like big, hairy, audacious goals on the growth, we're not really strict on it. We are working on those relationships, understanding them. And most importantly, when you, especially a law enforcement, if I'm a police chief, I'll be really careful with who I interact with, who I do business with, right? If I buy a software from a company, right, and that company runs into any kind of unwanted problems legally or anything regarding financial problems or any kind of fraud or anything. So it looks really bad on the police chief or a sheriff, right? Technically building that trust, there are no shortcuts. Uh, in general, in business, for a sale to happen, uh, end of the day, it's between two humans with emotions. They have to trust each other to do the business, right? That's why the bigger brands, they can actually sell faster. If you think about Apple, you're not thinking about, oh, will my... My goal is to get StackBench to a place where it has the same acceptance and trustworthiness like Confiance has today from our customers. It takes a little bit of time. I tell people that in sales, you don't walk to walk into a bar, go to the first girl, you know, stranger lady sitting there, walk up to her and ask her, Leia, can you marry me? No, it doesn't work like that. You actually talk to her, you get her number, you talk to her a few times, take her out for a couple of dates. You also need to know whether you want to get involved with her. What if she's crazy? She's also thinking whether 
this guy some kind of a criminal or like a murderer like he's doing so a background so, check on you <laughs> exactly it's a background check that's how business sees done right if two people are doing business they need to know each other so there is no shortcuts into this right so to go back to your question confidence accuracy plans 15 years in business those pillars are there to support that kind of an accuracy growth plan right and we have the right people in the right seats when it comes to stack bench we have big hairy audacious goals but we're not like pressing too hard onto that because we are working on those relationships uh, every customer the existing police department they refer to their friends who are chiefs at other places right but they use the software for a year and understand who can is, who are newbies. What does that bench stand for? If I have an issue, how fast they respond. So uh, it, it's an evolving process, but I'm happy with the progress so far. Awesome. Yeah, and I think that's a good point that depending on where your business is at, where you're just starting to make revenue, mm -hmm. like past the one minute, past the five minute or whatever, it's you have different things that you need to focus on because we're the okay. same. We became, let's say, 40 people now and versus what, what we did when we were 10 people. It's totally different. The process, the system, everything has to change because it doesn't work anymore. You can have strict goals because you don't know yet. Maybe even the audience might change or maybe whatever you're offering. I think that's completely uh, normal. So can you tell me like what have been the most significant challenges you faced as a founder between both of your businesses? Hmm. That's a really good question. I read a lot of books. I try to learn from everybody I meet in my life. I'm a sponge when it comes to learning, right? We need to have that mindset. Not just as an entrepreneur, I would say everybody should have a mindset to learn more, right? I interact with a lot of startup owners. I interact with a lot of really experienced, really successful CEOs in America. People usually say, or oh, raising money or getting your first customer or building a product, or those are the difficult things. Getting a bank loan, I've heard that too. Truth is, all those are easy things. In my opinion, getting your first customer or building a service or a product Selling, all those things are easy. Marketing, sales, all those are easy. If you're committed and you have a process and you actually do not care, it's possible, right? In my opinion, the biggest challenge for any entrepreneur would be managing people because we are dealing with people with emotions, not robots, right? That squishy thing inside our brain, it's actually pre-trained based on how we grew up, where we grew up, whether we went through any special challenges in our early days in our life, right? So definitely, it's difficult to make everybody happy today, right? Uh, especially today in this world, people get offended easily, right? And maybe compared to the last 40 years, I would say this is the first time we have so much noise or data coming to us. You cannot make everybody happy. It's a truth. Even you cannot make two people, let's say like they're twins, like uh, fraternal or identical twins, even there'll be changes in the way they respond to something that you ask them or tell them, right? As an entrepreneur, as a businessman, the most important thing to be successful is your team members, your entire team aligning to that 
same vision, but the same way of communicating that vision will not be effective with everyone. So as a leader, you need to understand your your team really well, right? How to motivate Alex would be different from how to motivate somebody else, right? So we need to, as a CEO or a business owner, first of all, we need to have empathy. That's really important. Unfortunately, a lot of business owners, especially early starters that I meet, they believe being arrogant after watching some movies about Steve Jobs and they think like being arrogant and keeping expectations like that would actually bring the best out of people. Like they read about different articles about Wall Street Journal or or other sources, how Elon Musk fired someone or how Elon Musk actually grew his business empire. This is the thing that's natural for Elon Musk, right? And his team was also aligned to that. That is the reason he's successful, right? If I'm not comfortable, if I'm trying to put a mask on and trying to mimic Elon Musk, I will not have the same results. Because his environment, the people he was around, uh, the people he had, and his leadership style, those were different. So instead of mimicking the best way as an entrepreneur would be to, whether you're motivating an employee or naturally that empathy should come out, right? It shouldn't be like I do 10 things wrong and then do really bad things inside the company. And then if I go and talk to my one of my employees pulling into the side, like, hey, how can I help you today? To go back to your question, for any entrepreneur, somebody who's already running a business or somebody who's planning to start a business, I would say the most important challenge would be managing people. Managing might be a bad word. I would actually replace that with leading people. You have to be a leader. You have to show them, right? And you need to understand your team members really well. What motivates them? You need to know them personally. You should genuinely put a effort to understand. Like if one of my employees, say like one of my employees is going through a bad phase in life, somebody is sick in their home. I know that he or she won't be 100% on work. That is okay, right? And you need to tell them it's okay. Focus on the family. That's the most important thing, right? So when you put an effort to be honest and have that natural empathy and take care of your people, you'll slowly start to work out. doesn't mean that everybody would be a fit. There might be one or two people who might be doing the wrong things within the company, even if you're the best leader in the world, right? And they they need to be shown the door, unfortunately, right? That happens, but uh, managing people, leading them, motivating them, making them think like CEOs, uh, that is the so most important. Has there been cases where you really messed up with managing people? Why are you mentioning that? Is there like problems that you had in the past or like wrong hires that you did? I would say like... Early days as an entrepreneur, I made a lot of people mistakes. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Uh, and again, don't forget that when I started, I was 24 years old. Uh, I did not come from a family of any business background. So definitely I made mistakes, right? Uh, and I do not regret those. Those mistakes were done at that time. Uh, and I learned from it. I will not repeat those mistakes, right? Um, so definitely I learned a lot from my mistakes. I preach them. I help other founders 
or my friends who are running businesses, okay, uh, when they say something, okay, that might be a problem. You need to look into that. Definitely, I made mistakes, learn from them. Uh, I'm happy. Mistakes actually make you stronger and make you a better leader. Then reading books definitely helps you. You can learn from others' mistakes. Uh, I'm part of a group called My Stage. Uh, so I have 19 top CEOs and a business coach with years of experience. So we meet the second Wednesday of every month. So I, I'm listening to other CEOs, their problems too, right? Some of those problems I might see five years from now, but listening to them, how they solved it, what were the challenges, when you take notes and when you're actually learning those, it definitely helps. But if somebody says as a business owner, they never made mistakes or they never hired the wrong guy or a wrong girl. I would say they didn't try anything new. <laughs> yeah, they're probably lying. They never had a business to start with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I can totally resonate with that because let's say me and my co-founder, we used to be in another startup where we actually met. But then we saw how, at least for us, we didn't like the environment. And when mm -hmm. we started our company, we wanted to do the things that we wanted to see. Okay, we don't want to shout at our employees. Whenever someone's coming to a problem, I don't want to get emotional about it. I want to be like calm, yeah, just like figure out the solution. Just like those little things that, like you said, it makes people trust you more right. and makes people stick with you in the long run. Okay. Awesome. And then as a final question, what advice would you give to you know, aspiring entrepreneurs looking to enter either the B2B SaaS or the B2B service market? Hmm. Focus on the customer. Focus on the customer and the product or the service. Treat them really well. Do not try to get rich quick. That is a problem that I'm seeing with a lot of entrepreneurs today. They do not have that patience. You need to be on the other side. Uh, I Since we do a lot of mobile app development, we talk to a lot of startups, people who have an idea, they're looking for funding, they're trying to build something in the US. One mistake I'm seeing is people, they're thinking about how can I sell or how fast I can sell my business before even they have a product or a service, right? The problem with that, don't get me wrong, I'm all about if you're a business, you should have some exit strategy or succession planning and things which would make sure like the business as well as employees who depend on the business directly and indirectly, your vendors, suppliers, everybody have a future by having proper succession planning, right? But when you are thinking about building a product or a service, you're not even a business yet, right? You don't need to think about an exit at that point. This is a common mistake I'm seeing with startup entrepreneurs today. They will come up with a great idea. The idea is good. Then immediately their thing is, I want to take this to this level and sell it in two years for $5 million, right? Uh, the problem is when you are focusing on that exit or the money, then you're not focusing on the product or the service, which means like you are not going to do everything to make your customer happy. Uh, if you make your customer happy and if you're actually putting that effort, 
then automatically money will come and definitely some way sometime down the lane you you can plan on an exit right so definitely i would advise all the wanna be entrepreneurs to be patient believe in the process it's not like you bought bitcoin and immediately became like billionaire or millionaire quickly building a good business takes a lot of time and effort do not compare yourself to whatsapp or facebook i've seen like people watching the social network and assume when i build something i'm going to get 10000 people sign up every day you know those are outliers and kudos to them technically there'll be only one facebook in my opinion right uh, even they have challenges today we shouldn't look at the outliers in the business industry and then compare ourselves to i'm going to build something quickly then i'll be like mark zuckerberg that is a problem right that's where when you have that mindset the first two or three rejections you kit right rather you compare other businesses which took a long time to build maybe five, five years to have a good level of profitability and everything but being patient you are not giving your equity in the company to external people uh, like those are important things I have no you have no idea how many entrepreneurs they've got too ambitious watching these movies or this big silicon valley outlier stories they gave 40 or 45 or 50% of their company to an equity investor now they are frustrated and they had to leave the organization because yeah. they cannot innovate somebody else is telling them what to do right nothing against investors or anyone but if you are building something focus on the customer focus on the product and the service get paying customers get to a good level before you go to an investor you will get better respect you don't need to give a lot of equity uh, believe me if you are a profitable business even the bank will give you a loan you should have full control of your business otherwise some point it will backfire so that's my advice awesome. to you entrepreneurs Yeah it's an amazing advice and I know I think Tony Robbins said it's people like overestimate what they can do in a short period of time but they underestimate what they can do in a longer period of time agree and okay. sadly the new generation we have that problem because things happen quick for everyone right yeah uh, everything is on a smartphone right people need instant dopamine and that gratification running a business is not like that right you need to put the effort we are talking about days weeks months of long hours of work no sleep frustrations and compromises and sacrifices you have to make away from your wife away from your children away from your parents like it's a big sacrifice we cannot be looking at the outlier companies and come try to be them that might actually backfire yeah Awesome. So you guys heard from Anoop and his 15 plus years of experience. Don't focus on the short wins, but go for the longer wins and don't give away so much equity. I guess focus on bootstrapping. I'm all about that as well. Okay. So in the end like you have a larger share of your company, you can have a healthy profit and like you said then it just becomes easier and easier. But awesome Anup thanks for joining in the podcast it was wonderful to have you Thank you Alex thank you for having me